Hi, I'm Nikki Schrera, and you're listening to The Jazz Session, the original jazz interview podcast. Lesson one, basic hip. This is episode 581 for the 5th of January 2022. It's a new year, which means it's the perfect time to bring a new guest to the jazz session. While this musician is new to the podcast, she is certainly not a new or unknown entity to jazz musicians and educators the world over. Vocalist and composer Dominique Ede is a musician's musician, having recorded with Dave Holland, Fred Hirsch and Rand Blake, and performed with Bill Frizzell and Anthony Braxton. Dominique's relationship with the New England Conservatory of Music dates back to 1984, having both graduated from the program and gone on to found and oversee the Jazz Vocal Program, which boasts alums including Roberta Gambarini, Aoife O'Donovan, Michael Mayo, and Lake Street Dives' Rachel Price. Here is my conversation with Dominique. Just today I found an open letter The pen, the stroke, the ink that makes things better The hike, the path, the second look, the mountain and the finished book The face that I too had mistaken, the ring that will wake you in the night Spilling in the air is your open letter The promise of the world that things get better the cup you tossed, the iron fist, the things you thought you could resist, the way the moment would insist, the dream that will wake you in the night. The edge, the air, the jump, the prayer, the sun, the light, the endless night, the open door, the rock, the dance, the floor, the joy untold, all of the thoughts your head could ever hold. All I want to give back is this letter The pen, the stroke, the ink that makes things better The mountains and their quiet past The funny way that all things last The dream you thought you had forsaken The rain that still wakes you in the night The edge, the air, the jump, the prayer The sun, the wind, things that begin again The endless night, the the floor, all of the things your heart can hold and more. Dominique, welcome to the Jazz Session. Hey Nikki, it's so great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. It is overdue and an utter delight and we have a lot to get through because you are an astonishing musician and the branches that delve off of your main sort of trunk of just being consummate and so immensely musical are that you are an outstanding educator and I think there are a lot of jazz musicians who educate but let's just be clear that you've taught at 
the New England Conservatory, which is a really well-regarded institution in Boston since 1984. That is correct. <laughs> That's correct. Not only that, but you also founded and have now overseen for many, many decades the jazz vocal program there. And I I call it jazz, but really, I mean, your alums, your students include, okay, bona fide jazzers like Roberta Gambarini and Luciana Souza, all these people who've passed through your tutelage over the years, but then also people like Ifo Donovan and Rachel Price from Lake Street Dive. And so it's an astonishing breadth of musicians who kind of emerge from under your wing. And it says so much about you as an educator and just not even just in jazz. Thank you. Well, you know, I'm really privileged to be in this institution that just doesn't silo things. And, uh, you know, we have a jazz department, we have a CI, which used to be third stream, now it's contemporary improvisation. Um, there's the classical, there's vocal pedagogy, there's, uh, you know, just so much going on under one roof. And um, so I'm really privileged to work. I mean, and, and even, within, <laughs> even within the jazz department, we don't have a narrow, we're rigorous, but we don't have a narrow idea of what a student needs to come out being sounding like, you know, the, the underlying skill sets are definitely important and the, and the awareness of history and tradition, you know, we're not, you know, just anything goes, but as far as where people go after they, you know, even during their time at NEC, um, it's pretty open-ended in terms of genre. So it's really great for me to work with all of these, you know, Sarah Jarose and, you know, Aoife, all these people that you mentioned, um, in addition to working with, with people that are going on into some aspect of, of what we would call the jazz world. But, you know, that's everybody from a Kenya Seymour who, you know, played with Chance, the rapper and, you know, um, Roberta, who's more mainstream, to Sarah Serpa, who writes her own stuff, to to um, to Charmaine Lee, actually, who's a very bright star on the sound improvisation um, uh, landscape. So so it's great. It's just a privilege to be able to work with people in such a creative capacity at such a great institution. Well, it does speak volumes about your ability as a teacher and a communicator that genre aside, you're able to work and assist and guide and mentor all of these people and just have them go out in the world and swim in whatever avenue they choose to swim in, but with the foundation that you've bestowed upon them. It's incredible. Thank you. Yeah, well, it's an ongoing process and I can tell you I've learned a lot. <laughs> well, I'm going to ask you exactly yeah. what you've learned. But aside from you being a stalwart of the not just jazz, but education community, music education community, you're also an astonishing musician. You're an absolutely dazzling improviser and that is not something I say about a great many jazz vocalists, just because it's mm. not everybody's cuppa and not everybody sure. chooses to do it. And some people who do choose to do it don't necessarily inhabit the world with complete ease, as if it is an extension of their personality or the story they want to tell. And you have, you wear it like a second skin, in my opinion. You're all, but you're also, you've recorded a huge amount. Your discography is vast and varied and really just documents your 
trajectory in the most beautiful and all-encompassing way. You've released seven albums. The first was in 1990, and this goes all the way up to current day. Was the last in 2017, the duo album with Rand? Yes, that, that would be the Town and Country on Sunnyside with Rand Blake. So, you know, and you are a singer-singer, and there are not a lot of people. I think there's always outside of the community, just people who love music, jazz fans, listeners, people inside the community, people who are vocalists or musicians who have a different relationship to other musicians and other figures in the industry. And there are very few people who are kind of, I would say, held in the regard that you are. I, I would say Sheila Jordan is one of them. I would say Mark Murphy was another. Jay Clayton, Kate McGarry. And you, for absolute sure, I would call you a singer-singer. I think you are immensely underrated in the jazz vocal community. And I, I mean that not as a, neither as a compliment or a criticism. It is just a thing. It is a fact to me. But you're also this kind of like Massachusetts sleeper sensation, <laughs> which is why when people do discover your work, I imagine they're just thinking, oh gosh, I've been sleeping on on Dominique Eade and this is just like discovering a treasure trove, an audio treasure trove. Oh, well, that's, I, I like that idea. And I, I, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I have spent a lot of time, well, you know, I moved to New York in, around the time my first CD came out. And that was a really active time for me. I was performing a lot. I got my um, recording contract with RCA Victor. Actually, as I was leaving town, two record companies called me. But I, I just, you know, it was a great, great time for me. And then at that um, point, even though I did go on to record two records for RCA, I had two kids, which, you know, I was doing rather a little bit later in life than some, <laughs> than some. And um, so I was back in Boston and teaching full time and raising my kids. So it was nice that those two RCA records were so well distributed and got out actually all the way to, to um, different uh, countries, Australia, for instance, you know, way out in there where people heard my music and, and, you know, came to NEC because of that. But that was all during a time when it was more difficult for me to tour. And then it's just been interesting. I've done a lot of the gigs that people have called me for. Um, and I'm just starting and it's just really an interesting process. I mean, at some point when I did the the record with Jed Wilson in the I don't, 2000 and something, four, six, um, that was like a moment for me, you know, to kind of get a website and get a little more presence, you know, in terms of, of people being able to find me. But honestly, um, just a few months ago, my my younger son said to me, you know, I was looking for your music on, <laughs> online last night. I couldn't find it. <laughs> And I was like, oh, I need to remedy this. So I am in the process of getting, I mean, it's difficult. The RCA records are out of print, so I can't necessarily, I can't stream those without, you know, I have to figure out the legal side of that and, you know, just getting getting my music available because the, really it's the delivery process of our assets has changed, as you know. So <laughs> gone are the days of carrier pigeons yeah. and mules. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, but so then do you feel, so do you feel that you're underrated or under the radar? I, you know. Uh, yeah, that's really, that's so hard for me to know, you know, because 
I mean, could I work more? Pro yeah, you know, I'm sure that I could literally um, up until this moment. I mean, actually, I have an agent who's who's interested in doing some stuff with me in Europe. But really, I've just taken the work that people have called me for. So I've been very lucky because I do get called by other instrumentalists to do gigs with them and to do projects. And I just recorded something with um, Dave Douglas for Nouvelle Records about a year or so ago. So so my, so I'm busy creatively. So in that way, I don't notice like not having enough to do, you know, because between teaching, which I find creative also, you know, it's it's really the you know, exchange of, of creative ideas. Um, so I find my, I find myself plenty busy, but I think right now, um, what I'm hoping to, to do is to have a little more agency in terms of what, what gigs I do and, and putting a group together and, you know, just instead of kind of taking the things that I get called for, which I said are, you know, are wonderful, you know, they're, they're great to have. Um, but but trying to trying to be a little bit more um, focused about what it is that I want to say. So so I wouldn't you know I can't. It's very hard for me to look out and say whether I'm under the radar or overexposed or whatever. But I but I do feel personally it's a really nice time in my life to be thinking about the creative work that I want that I want to do. When the wind was green. At the start of spring, when the wind was green, like a living thing, it was on my lips, and the taste was your relationship with New England yeah. Conservatory, which we might refer to as NEC sure. for, for listeners out there. It's long and rich because you actually, and I'm, I don't mean to read your biography <laughs> to you. You might have just to. Just to fill folks in. You started as an English major at Vassar College. That's correct. Um, which which mm -hmm. I, I didn't actually know about you. And then in retrospect, I think about your diction, your love of words and lyrics. Mm. And so maybe there's a connection there or certainly an appreciation. Then you transferred to Berkeley College, which many folks mm -hmm. know is a really uh, big and um, long-standing jazz college, also in Boston. You finished your degree at NEC, and then mm -hmm. you became the first artist, or jazz artist, to be accepted into the NEC Artist Diploma Program, which was in 1987. So it's a very important relationship, actually, in your life and career. Yeah. yeah. So can you talk about 
how NEC figures into if you take a step back and look at the overarching arch of your arc of your life, how NEC yeah. fits in and how that educational branch of your work has enriched your journey as a musician, composer and performer. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, I, the reason I transferred to NEC is because I heard Rand Blake, um, the great pianist and um, educator, play a solo concert in um, in Harvard Square. I think it was Jonathan Swift's. And I always, I mean, I was in, in turn, I do love words. And so that, you know, that was a big part of why I was in, an English major. And I always wrote songs. I mean, since I picked up a guitar at 12, I just wrote lots. I mean, I learned lots of music of other people, but I also spent hours and hours in my bedroom, you know, just making, making songs. And um, so, so when I went to Vassar, I didn't really know I was a musician and I didn't really think of it as an option, but it was just how I spent all my time. <laughs> um, and, and I did have an English teacher who was just like, I think you're a musician. So she sent me on my way to, to, um, Berkeley first just for the summer program and then I took a leave of absence and I stayed for two semesters the end of that spring semester I heard Rand Blake play and I was interested in words but I also loved instrumental jazz I would say I'm as equal you know equally influenced by the instrumental tradition as I am the vocal tradition in fact I think it's a much more seamless um about you know not as clear-cut boundaries between those two I mean look at Louis Armstrong for instance great leader, great instrumentalist, great singer. So, um, but I loved instrumental music and, and particularly the music of Duke Ellington and Thelonious Monk at that point. And when I heard Rand play, for whatever reason, it just struck me as like the next logical step musically. And so I went to NEC, I studied with Rand, but I also partook of kind of the whole environment there, which um, I love, you know, I grew up in a household that played jazz and classical music and contemporary classical music. My mother loved, you know, Messiaen and, you know, from from Bach to Messiaen or, or really, you know, even earlier. So, so it, it was very natural for me to be in a place where all of these musics were, were flying around in the air quite literally you know you walk down the hall and you can hear all of this different stuff and so it's always very inspiring and and i was also always really interested in how the voice is used in different kinds of musics and what the difference between physiological limitations aesthetic style parameters and just the openness of what of everything that's possible with a voice like what what are the what's the difference what can we why do people sing in in India with no vibrato and why is this classical teacher telling me that if I don't sing with vibrato I'm going to lose my voice by the time I'm blah 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 right so I was always looking for um for ways to approach that. I mean, I studied, you know, some bel canto. I looked at things historically. Um, I, I um, worked very early with a, a kind of an important uh, non 
aesthetically bound, I would say, or as bound um, technique teacher named Joe Estel, of which the Estel method is now very famous. I worked with soprano Nancy Armstrong, who could improvise Handel cadenzas, so she understood that. She would sing contemporary classical music. She sang early music, so even though she was a soprano, she'd warm me up below middle C, which was nice. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> um, so I was always hungry because I, I love the way I love singing and I love the way the voices use the world over. And I could understand how different it was and that that that, you know, we call them physiologic. Oh, well, that's a limit to physiologically. But, you know, the 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 the, the way of producing sound and the idea of what is communicating and what is even beautiful varies so much that that was just really interesting to me. So I early on made a study, you know, later after I worked with Nancy Armstrong, um, not at NEC, um, and then I worked at, at um, in New York with with Jeannie Lovetri, who is who's, you know, amazing, amazing educator, um, disagrees with Joe. Estel on many things, but that was interesting for so so while I was kind of getting this training at NEC, I was also reaching beyond NEC to to get myself education about um, this very vital thing of how we use this instrument um, and and the mechanics, the art um, of of it. And so um, I think that that's been something that's really enriched my teaching and made it possible possible for me to work with all kinds of uh, singers. Hmm. Yeah, you uh, really outlined it. It's so funny because yep. another past student of yours who absolutely adores you is the wonderful Sarah Lieb, who lives and teaches in LA and who is yep. often the, the vocal technician. I email if I have um, a question and I'm working with a student and I'm not sure how to approach uh. it. And she studied with you and she refers to you as the poster child for, I think, just vocal technique. I'll have to ask her if she said jazz vocal technique. And it's precisely because, as you say, you have learned with everyone and and absorbed and taken from all mm. these methods in a in a context where I think, as you also say, a lot of vocal teachers are quite rigid about their method and the fact that there are limitations as opposed to saying, well, actually, you could take this from um, bel canto training, you could take this from the Levetri method, you could take this from Estelle and Estelle and you are, I think, as you say, that that equips you to handle vocalists regardless of the genre and regardless of the voice. I, I, I mean, is that right? Is, do that's, you, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, I think that is right. And Do you and... think anyone can sing? I kind of do, actually. <laughs> what do you think? I mean, I think you think they, they can. And I mean, I would say yes, because I would also say, well, what is singing? And I would bring up, you know, Bob Dylan. So, I mean, you know, I don't, I think it's, it, I think people obviously have limits, but I think we rarely get to the limit of our limits, you know, and people decide beforehand that they can't. And so it's a, always an open-ended question and I couldn't ever say this can't it's impossible you're not gonna you know to what degree do you think that a good vocal technique is very important in a foundation or is it actually are there things about it that can be bypassed 
Uh, you know, so so I think technique can become, I mean, technique is really just how to do it. So you don't have to learn from a particular person or a particular method how to do it, but you have to figure out how to do it. Um, you know, so, so I think any, you know, I think, I think rappers have good technique because they're able to do the thing that they want to do. And if someone else who had, you know, studied professionally and went and wrapped the thing that they were wrapping, it would not communicate to, to their audience in the same way. So, um, you know, but that being said, I think it's important if you want to be able to do it for the long haul, you know, I mean, as an educator, I have to take a slightly different perspective, but it's always, but it's murky, you know, um, because if you want to be able to do it for, for the long haul, probably you need to be able to at least have kind of what I call as sort of vocal yoga for the vocal tract. I mean, enough that you can, you know, keep, keep resilient. And, and then there's the idea of keeping growing with what it is that you're interested in doing. Um, so technique is not a finite thing to me, and it always goes hand in hand with the, the art form itself that someone is trying to communicate, because um, all by itself, it's not really a thing. Well, if we bring it back to your art form, what is the trait that you most admire in other vocalists? Oh, that would vary, I think. Um, you know, it would depend on the person. Um, I mean, I feel like I always am listening, you know, if we're talking, I mean, really any kind of singing. I just love it when when a singer can can go past the 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 technical into pure quote unquote pure expression you know and and i'm all you know of course mindful i mean i've been working uh <laughs> rand blake and i are doing some some rehearsing and it's really far ranging from like we're we're doing something by whitney houston we're doing something from from carmen um and and i've been so I've been immersed in in listening to the end and, and something by Mahalia Jackson and, you know, just immersed in these just incredible, incredible singing, you know, and, and so for me, I'm not like the one who goes like, oh, wow, she belted a, you know, an F or whatever. Like I like the the that part of it. It's more like what are they able to dig into in themselves and express and that just is is the thing that really gets me i mean that's what what i what i listen for and, and to me it you know it's a conversation that's going on but it does you know it's conversational when it's jazz between the instrumentalist and the singer but but with somebody you know like whitney houston if she's singing saving all your love for me you know the different performances that i'm looking at of her singing that live for instance it's really a conversation within within herself and a conversation with the audience and the audience's expectations i mean it's super powerful you know so um so i admire that about singers i just you know that that really gets me that immediacy that that expressive immediacy um and I love, you know, I mean, I love all different kinds of voices too. You know, it's not necessarily somebody that has the, four, you know, four octave range and this, that, and the other. It's what somebody does within the the parameter within the frame. How can they express within that the the contrasts and the and the 
emotional variation. So that's what gets me. When you listen back to your first album, Ruby, The Ruby and the Pearl, which was released in 1990, as you mentioned, while you were, you just moved to New York. When you hear that version of Dominique singing, what do you think? You know, it's funny because I had not, I was preparing some tracks to send you and I really literally had not listened to it, I don't know, in maybe probably decades. Um, so it was interesting. I mean, the, I, I, it's hard for me to focus on myself because the thing that really struck me the most was listening to first Alan Dawson, who who I was just so, you know, the legendary drummer who I, who was really a mentor to me early on in my first days in, in Boston. And I was just so lucky to have him want to play with me, take my music seriously and really just go for it. And that recording, I mean, it's not a, it's not, it's, there's a lot of adventurousness there that I really appreciate. And it's fueled by, by the rhythm section. And, you know, of course, John Lockwood on bass, who I've worked with forever. And then Stanley Cowell, who, um, when I was a student at NEC in the artist diploma program I studied with, and then went on to work with. And of course he, um, very sadly died um, just about a year ago. So I just, <laughs> I, I don't think I could even listen to myself. I was just like, oh my God, like they are so amazing. You know, they just, and I was just, I mean, I was young and, and I was young and carefree, but no, I was, I would just sort of, uh, I mean, I didn't take it for granted. I can't say that, but my eye was really on the prize. Like, man, I love jazz and I wanted to make jazz music. And so the fact that these people that I were playing with were these unbelievable, legendary jazz musicians, I mean, it didn't escape me, but I was just like, yeah, of course they are. That's what we're here to do, you know? <laughs> and now I listen back, I'm like, oh, wow. That's, you know, that's, that's lucky. So, so I, so that's what, that's really honestly what I heard when I listened to the recording, but I was glad for the chances that I took. I was glad, you know, that I, that I didn't play it safe. I was, I was like, oh, you know, I just sang the head in twice and now I'm taking a solo on if I were a bell, like, yeah, you know, okay. <laughs> and I just, I'm glad that, that that was, you know, my, my, my tack out of the, out of the bay, if you will, you know, I was glad I said that, you know, of course things could be better. And, you know, I feel like I've learned a lot as, as a singer since then, but, you know, I was just glad I, I took those chances. I love the fact that we have something from then that we can now listen to within the context of what you're creating now it's just so valuable mm. I, I always think you know in terms of musicians recording and if they see it as a finite thing then they're not seeing it in the right way because it's really just a document That's interesting. because if you can't if yep. you hold it up too high what are you going to make next are you going to make anything next mm. it, it's not it's not an endpoint. it's a marker right that's a really good point yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, I think, um, you know, I think everybody's underutilized in this culture as an artist. And so it's hard to trust that you're going to produce a body of work that's going to re be referring to itself. You know, you kind of feel like, oh, this is my chance. I better make a statement and show that I can, you know, check this, check that, check that. And, and so, um, you know, which is which can be motivating on a superficial level, but like you said, it it I don't think it l leads to the most freedom of expression. 
ask me how I feel now that we're cozy and clinging. If I were a bell, I'd be ringing from the moment we kissed tonight. That's the way I've got to behave. Oh, if I were a lamp, I'd light. And if I were a band, I'd wave. Ask me how I feel, me with my quiet upbringing. If I were a gate, I'd be swinging. And if I were a watch, I'd start popping my spring. And if I were a bell, I'd go ding dong, ding. Don't do ding ding. Ask me how I feel now that we're cozy and clinging. If I were a bell, I'd be ringing from the moment we kissed tonight. That's the way I've got to behave. Oh, if I were a lamp, I'd light. And if I were a banner, I'd wave. Ask me how I feel. Me with my quiet. Hi there, I'm jumping on here quickly to tell you how you can best support the jazz session if you so wish. This podcast is made possible thanks to the generosity and enthusiasm of listeners who enjoy these conversations so much that they decide to become Patreon members over at the Jazz Sessions Patreon page. If you head to thejazzsession.com slash join, you will be able to find out information about the different tiers of membership and what sorts of perks you'll be privy to. Things like weekly bonus episodes or monthly episodes featuring interviews with jazz industry insiders that you'll receive in whole months before the general public do, online hangs and so forth. Head to thejazzsession.com slash join to find out more. 
In the meantime, if you're happy to rate and review this podcast, even just a star rating, which takes all of two seconds, that would be so valuable to helping other people find the podcast and also having the podcast show up on all of these search engines when people are looking for interviews with jazz artists, which is what the jazz session is all about. So please do rate, review and subscribe to the jazz session wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you in advance. I really, really appreciate the support and your listening in. Now back to the conversation. When you think of your singing now and what you're able to do now at this point in time, Dominique, what's the trait that you most enjoy or um, treasure in your own singing and your own, I guess, musicianship? You know, that varies so much depending on who I'm playing with, I think. Um, you know, if I were going to point to something where like, oh yeah, did I check those boxes on my own personal checklist? Um, I think I sent you a track of Dave Holland and I doing, we had done a, a duo concert in Jordan Hall. Actually it was, he did the first half solo, which was so incredible. And then we did, um, I think five or so pieces, the second half. And, uh, we recorded his, we performed his song equality based on the Maya Angelou poem. And I really am proud of that recording because I feel like I delved into the text. I mean, how can you not, you know, it's the most, you know, incredible poetry. Um, it's so powerful also, you know, and then there's a lot of reckoning to be done. What does it mean as a white woman to be singing this, these words written by this person, you know, and so there was, you know, it wasn't just sort of an easy, oh, you know, I'm singing my Angelou, you know, it's like, I, I really need to, I need to understand how I, how I fit into this and what can I communicate about that. And, and then, you know, musically, um, bass and voice, especially with, with harmony, that's not, you know, the most diatonic has its challenges. So I felt like I knew the music very well. And I felt like I took chances as, as an interactive improviser with Dave in that performance. So, um, so that's my high bar, <laughs> I guess, you know, that I would hold for myself. It's like not to neglect any aspect of, of the work that comes your way, you know, this having these incredible lyrics, having this deep music, and challenging music and then the kind of the extra added layer of the challenge of doing that with clarity um, with bass and voice um, you know and it's really interesting working with Dave because you know he played with Betty Carter so like that's a high bar in terms of personal expression and he you know it's kind of like you know biting the wooden nickel I mean he definitely knows the difference of whether you're you're, I mean, that's the great thing about jazz, I think, that that it really does ask you to demand of you and, and not and not. I mean, yeah, the marketplace might tolerate imitations, but the but the real jazz players don't tolerate superficiality or or imitation, you know. Um, and so I'm always glad when I work with instrumentalists that extend that same expectation to me rather than oh well i'm working with a singer now so it's just in this little box well actually i incorrectly referred to you as a singer singer a singer's singer earlier because in fact you are a, you're a musician singer 
and that's why people like Dave probably absolutely love playing with you and it must be such a thrill and the way that you answer so many of these questions um by referring first to well it depends on who I'm playing with Mm. really tells people who don't know you or don't know that much about your output it tells them so much about you and your your generosity and again I think again back into I won't keep going back to the technique although I could geek (laughs) out forever but with you but uh, that's I probably also to your credit, which is why you you can see the best of each technique and how it might be applicable to mm. certain people in certain times, as opposed to being very dogmatic and kind of narrow minded. It's you're very, I guess, is altruistic the word generous. Huh. <laughs> Just take it. That's not okay, a question. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. I think I I think I thank you. <laughs> when you're working with students so they could be vocalists they could be instrumentalists anyone what are a few of the things that you think are most important to instill in them love of process great answer because that never ends then then they're you know as they say lifelong learners but yeah that's actually a thing (laughs) and a good thing um and so that, you know, when I was saying before that teaching is really creative in that way, you know, I think one of the things that that I feel is so valuable in lessons is for me to be able to take something apart and show students it's okay to take that time to do that. And that could be with something very simple, with that, you know, something that's not working technically and how to open that up do it different ways until it works rather than you know it's kind of human nature to just want to go okay i'm starting the beginning go to the end this little part that sucks here is just gonna always be like that (laughs) it's like no let's look at that you know what's wrong what's going on there you know and that could be the same thing for lyric writing it could be the same for reharmonizing something you know it's like this what's what's here what's going on here and and showing that really a lot of the the creative process is in those things that we tend to want to rush through or gloss over, that they actually hold a lot of the lessons for us. And who are your favorite students and who are your least favorite students? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't. you know, it's, that, it's funny you ask that because people sometimes do. And I actually, I just don't have it. I just don't see it that way. Of course, you know, anybody that's there to learn is just there to learn. And and we're all at that level. We're just. Yeah. And there've been so many, I mean, because there's so many students and musicians who've passed, you know, through your teachings over the years, you couldn't possibly choose. Oh, no. But there must be some that you hate, right? No, no, no. Absolutely not. No, I mean, it's funny because I all I do have to sort of check myself a little bit because I know it's a kind of unconditional love that you feel teacher to student and it's and it pretty much keeps going. You know, so somebody comes back to me for for advice or for a recommendation or whatever, you know, it's like I'm just there to reflect what's possible in that person you know that's that's my job and so um so yeah i i i that's just honestly how i feel it it would i i can't feel it any other way 
And out of your sons, who do you <laughs> yeah, like exactly. the most? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, they'll tell you. Each one will say the other, I think. <laughs> and that's a sign of good parenting. I feel the same way about my parents. I know I'm the favorite. And they're like, sure, Nikki, whatever makes you happy. But um, uh, I was going to say, yeah, I can tell that you have a kind of uh, a longevity of unconditional love for your students because you're quite you've become quite active on Facebook mm. recent in recent years. Mm. And it's lovely because what you actually are active there doing is posting and sharing links, um, album news, performance news, all related to people who've passed through NEC and your department. Uh, and it's just a lovely aspect of, um, I guess, following you on Facebook is being privy to that and learning more about, I mean, just the insane number of fantastic musicians who you've happened to teach. It's brilliant. It's a lot of people and I'm just always excited. You know, sometimes it's just literally I open my Facebook page and it's just like, oh, Michael Mayo has a new CD out. Oh, Sophia Ray is in, you know, New York Times. Although it's just like, okay, share, share, share. Because it's just, it's great. I mean, it's that is really fulfilling and satisfying to feel like, you know, whatever help I've been toward creative singing, you know, and I'm not the only one by, by any means. I mean, you know, you mentioned Kate and all kinds of people um, helping that along. It's a great thing. You know, it's a great feeling. Oh, well, it's lovely. And it's great because it hips me to so many artists and music and different styles. And I, I just love it. Um, and I love your celebrating of it. Thank you. You have performed with a great many rhythm sections with astonishing people, many of whom you've mentioned, but you're also fantastic at duo. I mean, not fantastic mm -hmm. at, but you also have a lot of duo collaborations, whether they're in live yeah. performance, like you mentioned your recent um, performance with Dave Holland on, on the back end of his gig, or whether they're albums that you've recorded. So I'd love to dig into some of those and go through them and have you just tell us uh a bit about the collaboration or the specific album or what you love about the process. Let's start with John Lockwood, who actually is a fellow countryman That's of mine. Right. He's That's born in right. Cape Town, South Africa, yeah. um, which which kind of comes up and it kind of doesn't, but I suppose he's been in the States for so long now, but he's pretty much American. I have no idea what his accent is. It's probably He's just... got an accent a little bit still. Yeah. It's interesting. So, as you said, he, he recorded on the Ruby and the Pearl, your debut album, but he's also a fellow um, professor at New England Conservatory. And you have uh, you sent one of the tracks that you shared with me was a duo version of you and him performing the Gershwins, but not for me. So can you talk a little bit about that relationship, making music with John? Yeah, it's been, it's just been, a, actually, when I first moved to Boston, the only non- music job I ever had. I was a cocktail waitress at Faneuil Hall and there was a fellow cocktail waitress for two months till I could make enough tip money to buy my first piano. But um, there was a fellow waitress and she said, oh, you know, my my boyfriend's a jazz musician, John Lockwood. And I was like, I bet he's not. And then I was like, oh yeah, he's really good. So, I mean, I started working with him, you know, very, very soon after I moved to Boston, just luckily. And he's been in a lot of groups that I've been in. Um, the I, I had a group with the flautist Jamie Baum, wonderful flautist, um, Mick Goodrick on guitar, John Lockwood on bass, and Gary Chafee on drums. This this kind of 
this band that never that played a lot um but we never actually recorded called genso so so john and i were in that together we also had a trio with the great um uh, former art blakey pianist donald brown and um and in all of those settings i don't think we've done much in terms of like a full concert of duo maybe we've done one or two but in all of those settings i i do like to break it down and do duets with people it's kind of like being at a party and then kind of getting into that like conversation with one person for a little while so um so we've just we've played and that's those aren't even all the bands you know we played more recently with guitarist john wheatley um we've done a lot and so whenever we get the chance to do a, a duet or two it's just like old home week it's great yeah, it sounds very comfortable it sounds like two tennis partners who you know get right into rallying and it's just easy just effortless exactly exactly and moving on to the pianist so we'll start mm -hmm. with jed we'll we'll start with yeah. um the younger generation first so jed wilson was a student at nec and the two of you recorded one of my favorite of your albums it's called open in 2006 tell us tell us about jed yeah, so that was, I had a, a gig, you know, again, something I was asked to do at one of the arts centers. I think it was the Natick Arts Center. And um, the, the pianist who I normally worked with was unavailable. And I had heard Jed, I was, I, I'd never, I didn't know him at NEC personally, but I had heard him when I was adjudicating an honors ensemble, which was taped submissions. And as soon as I heard this pianist, I just, you know, that, that kind of thing that happens. I was just like, and, and so that was in the back of my mind. And I thought, well, you know, this, this pianist that I usually play with can't make this gig. I'm just to see if Jed wants to do it. And it just, you know, it's one of those things again, like you never know until you play with somebody, how it's going to click. And it was just so much fun. And he, you know, he's just an amazing pianist, amazing musician, and he has an amazing memory. And, musical memory. And so I, at that time, I was writing a lot of music. And after that gig, which which would not duo, it had a couple, you know, bass and drums, but we just started getting together and playing some of my music. And um, the music was, you know, kind of singer songwritery, but also jazz. And, he, you know, he was just sort of perfect for it. And it was some of it complicated and some of it I hadn't written down yet. And I really just needed to play it for him. You know, I'd sit at the piano and play it and go like, okay, I got it. And it's like, oh, okay. It's ama amazing, amazing, you know, just such a, you know, a generous ear, just incredible. And so, um, so out of those times of just playing together, we decided to, to do a couple of recording sessions and make that record duo and, uh, open, you know, do a record open. And there are a lot of nice outtakes from that I've been thinking about with this new website that I do of making some of those available as as well. But it was, and he's, it's an ongoing, you know, relationship we play to, to, together um, still, although he's actually a therapist now, a practicing therapist, which is cool. And, um, but still, you know, loves to play music. In fact, we're hoping to do a record of all free improvisation um, that's at his at his request um, sometime in September or October. Okay, well, folks, it'll be very different. <laughs> folks heard it here first, and uh, <laughs> hopefully, yeah, you'll come back to discuss that when it's out. We're putting that out there, 
And then if we move into sort of more current day, you have spoken about the pianist Rand Blake, who is also a bit of a sleeper Massachusetts gem, I mm. would say. Um, people mm. who know, know that kind of musician. Uh, he's he taught, I think, more than 40 years at New England Conservatory. So you have that in common as well. And the two of you released Town and Country, I mean, superb title, in 2017. And... I first became aware of Rand's work through his duo playing with the singer Jean Lee. I don't know, do they say sure. Jeannie Lee? No, Jean is Jean correct. Um, yeah, um, iconic records. Iconic records. I think actually maybe even through you, actually, you might have hipped me to them. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, of course, he's also done duo work with Sarah Soper, who is, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. one of your students, an extraordinary um, artist. Uh, so you have, again, I mean, this longevity is fantastic. I always think it makes the best music. Is that true for you and Ran? Uh, yeah, I mean, with Ran, it's amazing because, so when I heard him play and auditioned for NEC, we started playing together right away. I mean, I think in the fall concert, we did a, a, a duo performance of All About Ronnie, and um, I, I was in the quintet with Ricky Ford and we just we did lots of duo stuff. The strange thing is we never recorded until right after I recorded Whirlpool uh, Open, we ran and I recorded Whirlpool. So that was our first record. And then um, we followed that up with with Town and Country, which is which is quite different, different repertoire. Um, I, you know, I can't it's 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 just so hard to describe. Um, what it's like to work with Rand, but his, um, he, I actually wrote some liner notes before a Gene Lee Rand Blake record that came out, the newest sound you never heard. So it turned out that after the newest sound around, they'd done a recording that wasn't released. There's one that was, and then another one that wasn't, and it just um, it went through all kinds of legal stuff and finally got released a couple of years ago. And it was really interesting for me to listen analytically in that way and then think, how do I describe this? Because, you know, music isn't words and I don't think of it as another language. It's something completely different um, in, in most ways. And so I feel like with those with those liner notes, I got I was able to hear what he's up to in a different way because really when you're playing together it's so it's like being on a wobbly bridge or a moving carpet and sometimes it's a magic carpet and sometimes it's the short end of this of the you know diving into the short end of the pool it's just you never quite know what you're going to get and i was looking at a review um uh giovanni giovanni russinelli was saying you know that the the, the task with a singer is playing with Ran, who's playing with Ran is to maintain the harmonic arc, which is possibly true. But I think that because you don't, you know, you're, you're holding on to the song and maybe you modulate with him, maybe you don't, but you know, he's not going to be playing predictable chords in, in any, you know, in, in, in any um, predictable way. But I, to me, it's the dramatic arc. That's really the challenge. You know, because you sing something and you may expect it to be framed a certain way and somebody says, you know, you know, and you're like, okay, you know, <laughs> how, how do I feel about that? And what, you know, what do I mean? What, what, you know, you can't just sort of like completely change 
what you're up to. There, you know, there, there's there's a direction, there's a there's a forward momentum, but it's not predictable. It's not the expected. And so, to me, really, it's that dramatic keeping that dramatic arc, which again, because of that, it challenges you to go that much deeper to find what it is that you would hold on to, regardless of the more superficial aspects of style. I've never heard him described that way. And it is interesting because it makes me reflect. I'm trying to hear him in my mind's eye as you're speaking. And I'm really thinking uh, she's right. Uh, that that unpredictability is, it says, speaks volumes about any vocalist like you or Jean or Sarah who can hold court with him. Because that that's, mm -hmm. it, it's thrilling, but it's also difficult. And again, it's thrilling, but you can't come out of it and say, oh, I, that was, you've got to stay in it because you're Completely. headed to the finish line. You can't appreciate it the way a listener would and go, ooh. Yeah, he's he loves this idea of storyboarding, which is borrowed from cinema. And he's, you know, he loves noir. He loves loves movies. And in a way, I think it's very cinematic in that way. You know, the storyboarding is kind of showing you know, what angle is something going to be shot at? Is it going to be close? Is it going to be far away? And so you, in a way, as the, I mean, you have agency. It's not like I don't have agency as a, I'm, I'm sort of equally a camera person and a, and an, and an actress or actor, but, um, but we both are in a way, so, <laughs> you know, so, and I mean, it's not like that isn't true in other in other ways in other you know playing with other people but but the perimeters of you know what what can what's up for grabs is kind of greater and it's not all unpredictable you know if it were all under unpredictable then it would be predictable it would be free improvisation but it's not you know it's 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 really interesting it's amazing i mean i, I love working with him and his ears are incredible incredible i mean there's just nothing like it Moon River, wider than a mile i'm crossing you in style Someday, old dream maker, you heartbreaker, wherever you're going, I'm going your way.
if we talk about your ease in improvising, something I referenced earlier and something I'm just in awe of your ability to improvise and inhabit that role, what do you love about improv? You know, I was I appreciated when you were saying that it feels like an extension of singing the words. It never seemed like now I'm scatting and I, you know, it's this different thing that I do. Um, you know, like I said, with Louis Armstrong, for instance, I mean, even, you know, people that are purists will say, you know, you have to sing, sing the song like it was written, but he didn't sing the songs like they were written, you know, and then he improvised, you know, there was just this kind of continuum of, of expression, you know, so I mean, artistically on the most basic way, I guess I, I'm for the, the liberation of the human spirit. <laughs> And for me, you know, that's not going to be for everybody. Like it would be unliberating of the human spirit to say you must scat sing that, you know, to me that that's not true either. But for me, it's part, it's just part of what I do to express myself in music, mindful of the depth and rigor that's involved in being a solid jazz improviser. So that rigor that you just spoke of. Do you think that that is valuable and important for any singer, certainly any jazz singer who is learning about jazz and their instrument within that context, even if they choose not to employ it when they go out into the world and record or perform? What do you think there is to be gained from the skill of I studied this, I may not be very good at it, but I went through some of the processes and I tried it on. Um, you know, I think if you just get those skills without an historical artistic context, I, I suppose it's good ear training, you know, which is never bad. Um, but I think the chances of it leading to something more artistically not necessarily to be a, a wordless improviser, but just to be open to challenges, I guess, then I think it's better to have an historical context and awareness of, you know, possibly, you know, understanding what it is that the, that the vocalists that you do admire are are able to do and and not just ones that are you know considered good scat singers you know but but i think you know people that are good interpreters hear themselves in the context of the music and so learning to hear chord changes and play some piano and improvise even if you're not going to be you know following that artistic path i think it makes you a better interpreter for sure you know there's lots of, of split second choices that are being made when you're interpreting something, whether you vary the melody a lot or a little or, or almost none, you know? Yeah, it's the thinking mm -hmm. on your feet that is the, the thread. Yeah, yeah. One yeah thread. and also a playfulness with the elements of music, you know? I mean, I just, I don't know why, but like, I think I'm on a Beethoven kick, which has never happened <laughs> to me before, but like, you know, just be being, you know, just thinking about him improvising and coming up with ideas, you know, I mean, he was, again, he's not, he's not known as an improviser, but improvisation is really just being resourceful with the, with the, the sounds that are around you 
and putting them together and that's composition and that's interpretation so for me it's all of a piece and and this idea of just you know yeah i think if you're going to be you know a scat singer you you should learn to do it well and have something not just to be able to outline the chord changes but to 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 respect what it takes to be a developer of thematic material as an improviser you know because that's what the greats are, are doing why do you think that there's more discrepancy between vocalists who improvise versus perhaps instrumentalists who improvise? Like you can really tell with a vocalist whether they've got it or they don't have it. Mm. What is it, do you think? You know, I mean, they could have worked a lot longer on their interpretive abilities. And so, you know, there just may be an unevenness to to the levels. They might not really want to improvise. Some people just think they have to, you know, that's not generally going to make for great, you know, engaging listening. Um, and and then I think, you know, there's, I mean, just as an educator, I, I recognize that you know, lots of instrumentalists have come up, you know, playing certain kinds of rhythms and blending with a, you know, a sax section in a big band through high school. And there's just not, you know, a, a lack, a, a less familiarity, you know. So I've seen people that are, that go, begin as not very good improvisers become great improvisers. So um, it just, you know, it just takes usually some amount of time and and dedication yeah well it goes back to what you said learn to love and enjoy the process for that's right for all the things and right who are who are some of your favorite vocal improvisers in well i love like i said i love all kinds of world music so i you know i love many, you know, Carnatic and Hindustani improvisers. I mean, you know, there's so many incredible improvisers. There's so many um, great vocal improvisers in in Mali, you know. I mean, there's just, I mean, there's so much, I, I don't think of it as a, improvisation is such a narrow thing, but, um, you know, within jazz, I mean, I kind of like everybody, <laughs> you know. I, I like technique, you know, it's like I appreciate you know, I appreciate Chet Baker and Betty Carter and Louis Armstrong and um, and my students, you know, I mean, uh, there are some wonderful improvisers that um, that 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 I've taught. So so I, I you know, I, I enjoy, you know, if somebody's gotten to that level of of expression, um, I, I'm really open to, to listening to all of it. Well, I can name names easier than Dominique can, and I can say that two of my favorite vocal improvisers who are past students of yeah. Dominique's are definitely Michael Mayo, who you, oh, gosh, you mentioned yes. earlier, and Aubrey Johnson, I think, is Oh, she's so great. Aubrey's improviser. amazing. So people can go yeah. if they want to be like, what is what is an, an improvising uh, ex-student of Dominique sound like? They can Google Google those folks and we'll put website links in the show notes for that's this as great well. two really fabulous yeah. people to mention yeah so I, those those are some of my faves and of course you um what is next so there's a website coming up a new website there is there is i god i didn't <laughs> i think i hadn't done a photo session and god it's scary some decades but i did that which was painful but good to do actually it was great the, the photographer was wonderful so oh, good um 
and I'm working on a website and hopefully, um, well, you know, I haven't figured out exactly what I'm, what kind of group I'm putting together, but I've written some interesting music through the pandemic, which, um, which I'm trying to put together and see, is it all of a piece and will it be one group that would perform it? Um, so, so that's my, that's the next project. And of course, you know, working on the other things that, you know, the, hopefully the, the work that I'm doing with Rand will also be um, recorded at some point. And, um, and I'll, you know, some, I'd also like to do, not this year, but I've written some slightly larger ensemble pieces that I would like to maybe, you know, get tucked away in an artist colony at some point and be able to finish uninterrupted. <laughs> well, I think because I've asked you, you've now put out all these things. So anything that was perhaps unclear as to whether or when it would come to fruition, they're all going to click into place now. Watch magic. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that visualization. Yeah, exactly. You're welcome. Uh, no, and uh, and will we'll, you be my manager? Uh, with uh, with pleasure. I don't know. You know it's just um, a treat, delight to have you on the show. So thank you so much, Dominique, for your time. My big pleasure. Thank you so much, Nikki. I'm Hans Christian Andersen. I have many a tale to tell. Though I'm a cobbler, I'd say I tell them rather well. I'll mend your boot and I'll fix your shoe if I have a moment free. If I'm not otherwise occupied as a purple duck or a mountainside or a quarter after three, I'm Hans Christian Andersen. I ride myself a note each day and put it in my hat. The wind blows by, the hat blows high, that's not the end of that. All around the world it goes, it lands here right beside myself. I pick it up and read the note, which is merely to remind myself. I'm Hans Christian Andersen. My pen is a babbling brook. Permit me to show you, dear sir, my very latest book. Now here's a tale of a simple fool. Just glance at a page or two. You laugh out loud when you're reading it, but you blush a bit for you realize that it's also reading you. I'm Hans Christian thank you to this week's guest Dominique Eid. You can find out about the tracks that were played during this interview by going into the show notes either under the episode or on the Jazz Sessions website. Um, do head to thejazzsession.com slash join to find out about the Jazz Sessions Patreon page. You can follow the Jazz Session on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook tweet at me message me i'd love to hear from you there is also a youtube channel to which you can subscribe to watch video excerpts of my conversations with all of this season's guests thank you to the respect sextet at respectsextet.com for the theme music thank you to all of you for listening and i will see you next week for another conversation with jazz artists about their lives their process and much more i'm nikki schrera and you've been listening to the jazz session the original jazz interview podcast.